Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dicer. Please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a five-star review if you love the episode. If not, let us know how we can do better to help you as well. Plus, subscribe to the YouTube page to see all of our lovely faces as well. This week, I have Bill Coletti on here, and he's a reputation management and a crisis comm communication professional and a professional development expert as well. He has a wealth of knowledge around managing high-stake crises and issue management as well. It's great to have him on board. Plus, he's worked with Target, AT&T, American Airlines, Home Depot, Xerox on all their actual reputation and crisis needs. So welcome to the show, Bill. Brett, glad to be here. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation. We are as well. But my first question is, all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I am a proud to say black coffee drinker and I drip for convenience, but prefer pour over for taste. Ah, you're getting into the more of the, I guess the better tasting coffees when you say pour over luckily i'm a, i was a former barista so i know what you're actually talking about <laughs> whatever i'm not sure what the name of my i think i guess black and decker or whatever my my good morning brew is just a good simple medium roast that i do uh two cups in the morning and maybe one maybe one mid morning but uh it's a but i love good black coffee no worries yes i love good black coffee i too but i put a little honey in it more mostly because of my allergies so it helps with allergies so it's just put a little bit in there nice but yeah very good. no you, very good i'm training for a bike race so i put a little electro, a little electrolyte in there so that's fair that's fair to yeah I, I could totally see that gives it a weird taste a little salty a little uh. salty yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got turned on to recently with a, take a bad, bitter cup of coffee and drop some salt in it. So it helps it out. Nice. I'll have to try that if I ever get some bad coffee. <laughs> <laughs> hotel coffee, hotel coffee. <laughs> That's true. I mean, usually most hotel coffees, it's like, well, I have to because I need some. Exactly. But I gave a little bit of your expertise. Can you summarize to our listeners a little bit more about your expertise? Yeah. So Kith, the firm that I run is we are a crisis communications and reputation management firm. That's all we do. So kind of distinct from some of the folks that uh, that you've done on PR360, all we do is crisis and reputation management. Grew up running political campaigns and then from political campaigns morphed into uh, corporate public affairs, issues management, and now exclusively focused on getting corporations crisis confident so that when crisis strikes, they like what they see. Got you. And we're going to be diving into that and talking about just crisis calm and how much has it changed over the past two years or so and what have crisis experts learned from these past two years about crisis calm and what to put in the crisis plan? Yeah. You know, it's, it's obviously COVID changes everything. Uh, and I think COVID, pick pick any topic COVID has changed it. And I think what COVID's done more than anything, it's just accelerated change, whether that was work from home or whether that was the future of business travel. Uh, but it also changed crisis communications. I think everybody realized that, you know, that there are events that impact everybody. It's not just 
you know, a manufacturing company or airlines that have have these types of reputation impacting crises, uh, but it, it can impact everybody. And so I think it's changed uh, a couple things. It's changed the way leaders communicate, CEOs and senior leaders. They didn't, some people got away with not having to communicate, but always being communicating uh, through COVID when we had so many unknowns in the early days and now it sort of feels passe two years in. But when we were in the middle of it, there was a lot of unknowns. And so um, constantly communicating has is an acceleration. That's something that we've always seen and we need more of. But also this notion of um, always be communicating and, and doing it and communicating um, early and often. Uh, hopefully a lot of leaders I work with have learned that lesson and are changing. Got you. And then how does the corporate crisis impact a company's reputation? Well, you know, I, I think that people are are generally forgiving. Uh, and I think it it if you're a big company and maybe you're a B2B company and you're a company that you've never really, never really heard of, I think crises sort of just, it impacts the way people feel about you. And I talk about it in the context is that a company owns its brand, but the public owns its reputation. And so we, as uh, marketers and communicators, there are lots of things that you can do to control people's, particularly people that write you checks or buy your product or use a credit card to purchase that you can control that brand experience. You can change price, you can change the experience, you can change the product mix. Um, but I don't shop at BP. BP gas stations are not convenient for me. So I go to others, but I have a definite opinion um, about them, even though I'm not a customer. And that's where their reputation comes in. So crises impact reputation directly with people that buy your stuff, but it also directs your reputation with the public at large who may or may not uh, be the purchaser of your product. Mm. And is there any way to like help, I guess, massage that bad reputation? Because I mean, we've all heard of BP because of the oil spills. And even though BP in California, they use Arco to sell their gas. I, or people may not like you may shop other, other places. So is there any way to help massage that during a crisis or even a little bit after a crisis? Because we, we all need brand reputation and sometimes you need to rehabilitate your brand. Absolutely. I mean, I think during the crisis speed. So having done this for about, you know, 20, 25 years now, I think the key differentiator between good and great crisis response is speed. Filling the vacuum of information with, with a, your side of the story. But speed, you're not just fast for fast sake. I think you get fast and it's an equation. And so speed equals the sum of your chain of command, how you make decisions, plus your mission and values. You know, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What are your, what's your ethos? That's what makes you fast. Too many organizations have never had either one of those things challenged. What do you stand for? What do you believe in? And then how do you make decisions and how do you make decisions when you need to do it quickly? So I think that, you know, improving the best thing to do to improve your, the, or mitigate the impact of a crisis is to be fast, to be fast in the marketplace, respond quickly, get back to strategy, get back to plan as fast as you can. But that just doesn't happen by you know, a magic wand. It takes a little bit of work around what do you stand for and who needs to be in the room to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And going in before the crisis happens, how should PR pros now create their crisis plan in a 
post-pandemic world. Yeah, super simple. Uh, I know you guys have done uh, the PR360 podcast. You've interviewed some really, really strong crisis practitioners and have really talked about this evolution from these three ring binders to smaller documents and more useful documents. You know, I think it is the things we can do to become faster, work on holding statements. There are general basic holding statements that organizations can do to have those prepared and ready. Those should be built into plans. I think chain of command, who needs to be involved, who needs to be in the room in order to make decisions. And then just this reassertion of values. What, what, who are those that matter most to us? Who are the stakeholders that matter most to us? And I'm agnostic. It could be your employees. It could be your, your first round investors. It could be shareholders if you're publicly traded. Um, you know, it could be any number of different stakeholders, but really understanding who matters most. I think a simple couple of page articulation of a handful of those things really will make organizations better and faster. But more than anything, they just need to think about this, not just do it once, put it on a shelf and forget about it, regardless if it's a three ring binder or or a three by five card, it doesn't really matter. You've got to think about these things because these are pretty dynamic situations. And so is one of those things updating it is having it maybe in a three ring binder hard copy, but also having it maybe in a like a OneDrive or a Dropbox or something like that. So everybody or the people that someplace that people can find it, wherever that, wherever that is, whatever that is, that's a cultural issue. You know, things that for, for organizations that use Slack, there's people that have it on Slack files, OneDrive, wherever it is. But that goes to the point. You and I could create this for our company, company X. And if we're not around, people don't know where it is. You have to practice and you have to think um, and make sure that the, so you have muscle memory. So it's any athletic endeavor, you need to have muscle memory so that you can perform when you need it most. So um, I'm agnostic. You can put it on, an, there, there are apps out there you can put on your iPhone. There are Slack messages, Slack channels where you can dedicate these resources, you know, OneDrive, it doesn't really matter where. Uh, people just have to be able to find it and use it. And that starts with them even knowing where it is. And even though most PR pros or nobody really wants to go through a crisis, what are some keys to actually successfully mitigating or managing a crisis when you're actually in it? Yeah. You know, so I think that is a lot of the basics. Tell the truth. You know, if you don't know, saying I don't know is okay setting a cadence of when you're going to update people that we're going to get back to you every hour, every two hours, every morning, whatever the, whatever the situation dictates, um, using your CEO or your leader, whichever, whatever vocabulary you use to define your leader, um, you know, use them effectively, but everything doesn't have to be done by them. You can have a spokesperson or have a, a secondary, uh, someone doing the periodic briefings of what's going on. Um, but I think the ultimate goal is we think about crises in this, we think crises in the framework of these, of three different types of risks, there's strategic risk, preventable risk, and external risk. And each one of those sort of dictates a different response based on what kind of risk they are. Gotcha. And should we be thinking about reputation management and crisis comm as a yin and yang of basically both of it together is like your reputation management and your crisis comm as kind of two ends to each side and is that how we should do it instead of two separate things? Because I, I feel like a lot of times it's like reputation management. Yeah, I think yin-yang is... Go ahead. 
ends and crisis begins. No, I think they have to yin yang and they have to fit together. And I think you're um, you're right on. And if you think about yin yang, it's got a large a large mass and it tails to a small mass and those two things link together in yin yang. And so absolutely. And so I think you do good crisis communications to improve uh, and, and maintain your reputation. You do good crisis, you do good reputation management to have fewer and shorter uh, crises issues. And so I think they fit together very symbiotically. And so most often in large enterprises, uh, it's the, those two departments or two disciplines kind of live together and, and work together. There are people and, and companies that we work with that really view growing their reputation separate and distinct from growing their brand. And those are the ones that typically are very sensitive and very responsive when they find themselves in crisis situations. And so, yes, that sort of cycle uh, of how they fit together uh, is absolutely key. And it's a great way to think about this. And so with that, how do PR pros maintain a good relationship with the public, either with just minor issues or maybe a little bit of a crisis or maybe just making sure they have a strong reputation? How can they keep on doing that? So maybe the, the people that buy from them or the community can help them during a crisis. Yeah. So I think always be communicating, always be telling your story. You don't have to wait for a crisis to tell your story. So I think there is this notion of always be communicating. I find often that less PR professionals and more their executive sponsors or clients, whatever the case may be, gets frustrated when they don't get enough feedback or they don't get enough response. And so I think that there's a discipline to maintain a constant cadence of information so people understand what you're doing. I think you identify key risks, you identify areas that can impact your organization, and then you work to mitigate those risks over time through your reputation management planning and reputation management thinking. Uh, and so that you build what we call a reservoir of goodwill so that when there is a set of questions and when there's context um, where people are confused is that you've hopefully thought about some of those things in advance and begin to build that big reservoir of goodwill or, and build that over time. And I mean, even going on with the community and the public, I mean, the new thing is cancel culture. So is there any way to like make sure that that's not part of the issue or crisis that you have to deal with? How do you maintain that brand reputation in a cancel culture world? Yeah, you know, it's a challenge. I mean, this, this, this society right now is that we all... Um, there's a lot of overreaction and companies are overreacting. And so we've seen this sort of pendulum swing around back and forth from, you know, where, where companies used to say, well, that's not my lane. That's not my concern uh, and not get involved. But we talk about it in the context of social risk and social risk are these things where the public has an expectation that big companies are going to talk about important issues that impact all of us as a society. When you step into that area, there is the potential um, of people, you know, neg negatively reacting to that and playing out cancel culture and, and what have you. My experience with with cancel culture is that it, it it very few companies that are doing the right thing and are being responsible corporate citizens that that. 20% of a tr of trolls out there if you think if you view the world as 8020s they're really not impacting the bottom line they're really sort of more of a nuisance and so i think being sensitive to what's going on in society 
but not being afraid to take a position or take a stand. Haters are going to hate and there are going to be a fraction of the, of the, of the populace that are going to have a negative reaction, but that's not a reason to back away because we really need to focus on the mindset and, and, and influencing reasonable people and their reasonable judgment not the 20% that sort of get triggered by any particular concern or issue of the day simply for the sake of the issue. And so keeping your eye on the prize is really pretty important. And how can companies manage a soft asset like reputation? Yeah. So, um, you know, I wrote a book, I wrote a book about it called critical moments. And we, we articulate this model to do this. And, and I, and I agree, it is a soft asset. But it is the same, I believe that there's the same reckoning that we had is that how do we manage, you know, employees, employee retention, employees. And so there's a very defined school of thinking around how we create employee engagement, how we create employees to be involved. And now it's second nature for all companies to do that. I think reputation management is at the dawn of doing that. And so it really sort of begins by assessment. It begins by understanding um, where your organization is, what it can respond to. You then move to awareness, and that's sort of an awareness of the issues around you. Then you figure out sort of what what is your organization capable of, and that's authority. And then the last one is action. So we think that's when you then begin creating sort of mitigating plans. If you're a chemical processing plant, what can you do to mitigate risk? And if something were to bad happen, how can you mitigate those concerns? So I think there's a four-step model, very standard Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker's put management principles around just about every aspect of modern corporations. And I think we're on the brink of reputation management being less of a soft asset and actually being a manageable resource and something that you can work on. And we call it that that four A's model is really the system that we think that organizations are embracing. And the folks that we work with have, have found a lot of satisfaction in that cycle of those evaluating those four A's. And then is there any things PR pro should basically avoid when doing the soft assets or the brand reputation? If there's like things that they should never, ever do or something like that. Yeah. Well, I almost don't want to say it, but it almost always needs to be said. Just tell the truth. I mean, don't lie. so if you put it in the negative is of the don't, don't lie. Don't make stuff up. I think the other thing you need to do, and it's in that same vein is saying we are going to do X by date Y and not delivering and not doing it and hoping no one ever, never asks you about it. So we're going to do X in, in the next 12 months, whatever, what a pick, pick the mark, pick the thing you want to do, but then just failing to talk about it. And we saw that so much regarding black lives matter and George Floyd and the issues of two summers ago is that a lot of people came out and said, we're going to do this by this and people were held into account. There are, there are groups that are actually watching and tracking. Company says we're going to do X and we're going to do it by Y and are tracking. And so if you say you're going to do it, whether it's the environment or social justice, whatever the issue is, that, that to me fits like lying. You know, if it's, if, if, you know, Brett, you and I live near each other and you're going to borrow my chainsaw and you say, I'm going to bring it back on Friday. I kind of expect you to bring it back on Friday and I don't want to have to check up on you so that you bring it back. And so it's the same basic model of don't spin and don't tell, you know, in telling the truth. So I think those are two critical things. Tell the truth 
And as, as companies make these sort of proclamations with dates and deadlines, update people. And it's okay if you miss the mark and you just have, there's usually a pretty good explanation and, and just being, we just need more engagement and more dialogue and, and corporations can, can stop acting so animatronic or robotic in the way they respond um, and don't bounce from issue to issue, crisis to crisis, really try to keep a plumb line and a focal point over the long term. Gotcha. And then, I mean, going off the truth thing, is there some things that, I mean, we have some things in businesses where we just can't say. So how do you skirt that line between telling the truth and making sure you're not giving away maybe company secrets or maybe like new product information that you may not want to reveal right now? Is there a way of like figuring out where's that line? Because there's some things where you just can't be fully hundred percent truthful. Yeah, absolutely. So people get emotionally invested, particularly in a crisis. And so I think what you need to do is just meet people where they are, understand what people think about, uh, you know, being, that's why by PR pros are so great is they really have that ability to sort of be the ombudsman that understands the public. I don't believe, again, that 80-20 principle, I don't believe reasonable people have a reasonable expectation that you're going to explain every aspect of how and what a company does, giving away trade secrets. But I want to know that, you know, company X is not hurting people or not harming people or that their behavior and practices, and we're recording this while the tragedy in Ukraine is going on. Are you or aren't you doing business in Ukraine or, or Russia? Uh, and and how, are, how are you responding to those situations? So I don't think you need to give away the farm. I think it's your message. You need to tell it the best way that you can. Um, and I think that r- focusing on the reasonable people, I think People over-index for trolls. They over-index in this cancel culture. They over-index of what's the negative response. But I think the focal point really should be the responsible beliefs of responsible people. That's who we should be focusing on in these situations. For the reputation, let's say it is a little damage. How can PR pros begin to repair that damage with their customers or with people on social media or whatever it is? How can they begin to do that? Because sometimes it just is a little damaged and you have to like figure out how to do that. So is there any tips for that? Well, you know, I think demonstrate change and consistently prove it. So demonstrate that, yep, we heard you, we understand, here's what we're doing to move forward. And this hypothetical where, you know, we've got a little bit of a bruise uh, on our reputation is that A, acknowledging it, and then B, fixing it, and then C, reminding people that you fixed it over time. And then hopefully you don't repeat it. That's when impacts, that's when reputations are truly impacted over time is when the, when the, the negative event gets repeated. And that's when people are like, man, there they go again. That's that company that did it one more time. So, so fix it, get back to business as fast as you can, and then really sort of focus on letting folks and reminding folks that you have fixed this situation um, and that you try to move on to other issues. So, I mean, I think there are a lot, there are a number of models that fit there, but it really just starts with reinforcing your, your, the, the best that you have to offer and reinforcing that consistently over time. And just because I, I tell you once that I'm a great person, that's probably not enough. You need to convince organizations and convince the public to do that repeatedly over and over and over. And I mean, we talked about cancel culture a little bit, but is there or should PR pros add that to their crisis plan? Is that another one of those new things that we're like, oh, well, we should figure out how to like, if it does happen, if we do wait into something that 
maybe it wasn't the best idea, but we thought it was the best idea at the time. Maybe we should add a section or something to to that effect. Is there something that should be done with that in the crisis plan? Yeah, you know, I, I think we we I would not have a section called cancel culture. I'd call it social risk. And basically, these are risks about society and the impacts that that you know that are unrelated to our business operations, and they are they are issues related to. Uh, society and they directly impact populations, whether it be uh, Black Lives Matter, LBGTQ, pick the topic, Trump voters, Biden voters, they impact a group of people, a population, and that's what social risks fundamentally are. So absolutely, crisis plans need to include thinking about that. Your crisis thinking needs to be around, well, Corporations are being asked to say and do more in society that is a little bit a traditional from what companies have had to do in the past. How are we going to respond? And that's a great opportunity for your chain of command, general counsel, senior leadership team, subject matter experts to really talk about those societal issues and how are we going to respond or not respond? Uh, because I think that's also a legitimate response as well. So yes, uh, this these notion of social risk absolutely has to be bedded in into the way people think about their crisis response plans. And what do you see as the future of brand reputation and crisis come in the next five to 10 years? Do you see new things sprouting up to help? Do you see new things that are going to have to be addressed as crises as well? What What do you see? So I see, I think there's a the high, a high tech and a low tech. I think there's a digital response and an analog response. And I'll start with the analog. You know, I, I think that we are, the big thing that's going to change is that this, an emerging generation of leaders, corporate leaders are going to be more willing to be transparent and authentic and sort of open with what's going on. Now, I think that I worry that that's going to be too much and that people are just going to be overwhelmed with sort of uh, that the, the marketplace is just going to be overwhelmed with all these corporations, you know, not doing what they really want them to do, which is, you know, provide me a good or a service that meets my needs and then let me pay you and get out of the way. But companies are going to try to be too overly involved. So I think that's analog. I think we're going to see corporate leaders more willing to engage corporations more willing to think about these issues, more willing to invest in these issues. I think digitally, I think social listening is going to continue to get better. Sentiment is the great thing that every digital um, sort of every everybody we're talking to about social listening is is focused on. How do you get sentiment right? How do you sort of aggregate data in a smart way? I think we're going to figure that out. I think AI is going to improve. I think there's some technologies where where room to sort of expedite holding statements. I think I've seen some apps that not quite there yet, but are getting there where you can actually plug in some basic information and it outputs something relatively quickly. Um, I think notifications, that chain of command issue, forcing you to think about who should respond. Uh, so, I, so I think sort of emotionally at a, at a soft skill, people are going to respond and be more thoughtful about these issues. And then, yeah, I think social media is going to, um, it's going to continue to grow. Uh, but I do think our ability to listen better and sort of filter out garbage uh, is going to be, is going to improve over time. And you think there's going to be any impact with Web3, with cryptocurrency, NFTs, or anything like that? Is that going to affect brand reputation or crisis comm? Because I keep on hearing everywhere how it's going to change the marketing and PR, but 
I'm pretty sure something's kind of like, well, this doesn't really affect us at all. Yeah, I think it's, I think for a lot of companies, it doesn't affect us at all. Um, you know, I think that, you know, with crypto and, and, and blo- the blockchain, broadly speaking, there is an argument that it is more secure and that there's actually a historical context of how and when things are developed, um, either one of those technologies. I think there is with any new technology, um, there is, and when companies embrace it, is that there is room for the public to misunderstand why you made this decision or that decision. And so I think that what really the, what I see it changing is the necessity to explain or to be ready to explain, we decided to do this and these are the safeguards we put in place. Broadly speaking, whatever the issue might be, I think that's where organizations, and that's back to what we were talking about before, that's where thoughtful leaders need to say, hey, there's room, I get it, but there's a room for misunderstanding here. So I'm going to make sure that we sort of pre-explain why and how we do it, particularly if we're sort of heading into emerging innovations and emerging technologies. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. What strategies would you like done away with with crisis common reputation management, which is something that you just hate so much that people or crisis PR pros and crisis Com pros still do that you're like, no, no, stop it. Um, yeah, you know, long form press releases to try to explain things. These are conversations often. And so just, you know, we don't need to write chapter and verse on day one because it rarely gets done on day one or hour one. It takes too long. And so short, meaningful, con- you know, a lot of conservation of words uh, is really important. So that would be number one is that we don't have to craft the perfect 500 to a thousand word statement. Nobody's going to use it. Headlines and quotes and papers range between seven and 12 words. So let's focus on those things. Um, everybody is, is not going to pay attention to every aspect of our business. Let's focus on what their needs are. So I think the brilliance of long form responses uh, is something that just really, really consistently bothers me because it slows people down. Gotcha. And then any final thoughts for us? No, I mean, Brett, I love what you guys do. PR 360, great podcast. And um, we've got a, uh, a landing page. We've talked about a couple of different things. And so there are some kith.co backslash PR 360. If you want to get some additional resources, you can have that in the show notes. So no, I just really appreciate the conversation. I love what you guys do and sort of shedding a light for professionals to hear new and different perspectives. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for being on the show, being our guest and talking about crisis com and brand reputation. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to PR 360. As always, please subscribe to PR 360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a five-star review if you love it. If not, let us know how we can do better for you. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to looking at your crisis calm and your brand reputation and making it better. See you next week. Later.